Uh, thank you, George. This morning we are concluding our series on 1 John. As mentioned last week, 1 John is not written in nice little blocks where you have all, everything to do about one topic in the one place. Instead, John spreads throughout his letter the same themes come up again and again. So a lot of what we have in the passage today has already been looked at before. But this morning we're looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. And if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1023. Let's turn to God's Word as recorded in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask of anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he shall ask, and God will give life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, the first thing that jumped out at me when I read this passage is the number of times that the word no appears in the passage. It appears over and over. Verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. 15, and if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God. 19, we know we are from God. 20, we know that the Son of God has come so that we may know him over and over again, we have the word no. In fact, as you go through 1 John, you see the phrase no over and over again. And in many ways, to fully grasp what John is talking about in the passage we read, we need to understand what the word no actually means. 
And when it comes to knowing, there's two different types of knowing. There's knowing about something, and then there's also knowing a person. So I just want to look at those two things just to get the background for what we're talking about this morning. The first thing is knowing something. This is all about having head knowledge about some fact or situation. I know that E equals MC squared. That's head knowledge. But when we talk about knowing, there's another aspect of it. If I was to say to you, I know that I am right, I'm not just talking about head knowledge, about that I think in my head that I'm right. I'm talking about a certainty, about being sure and certain about something. And that's the other aspect of knowing. We don't just have the head knowledge, but we're certain about it. But how can you be certain about something? It first of all boils down to where have you got the information from? Where did you get that head knowledge from? If it's from a respected source, someone who's an expert in the field, we can say we know because of the person who told us they're an expert, they know. But we also sometimes know with certainty from practical experience because we've taken that head knowledge and we've had to apply it in real life. We know for certain because we've used the knowledge. I want to give you an example in my own life going way back. In every boys' rally, one of the things we learnt was how to change the wheel of a car. We would have been in the old minor hall, which is now the cafe, and one of the leaders, maybe Ian Sullivan, I'm not sure who it was, would have explained to us in detail how you change the wheel of a car. In that minor hall, I gained head knowledge of how to do it. But I didn't really know how to do it. We then went out into the small car park and we had a go at changing a wheel. At that point, I sort of knew how to do it as part of a large group, we'd sort of fumbled about and sort of got it done. And I think the leaders probably afterwards went and fixed it. But I sort of knew, but I still didn't really know. But there came a day when I can say that I really knew how to change the tire of a car. And funnily enough, it was an EBR leaders planning weekend. And the Sunday after lunch, I went out to the car and looked at the passenger wheel, and it was flat. And I had to change the wheel of my car for real, or I wasn't getting home. After that, I could say with certainty, I know how to change the wheel of a car. I've done it. I've got certainty. So knowledge comes from learning facts, but we can have certainty based on who told us, but also practical experience. But there's another type 
of knowing. And that's knowing a person. Generally, in English anyway, when we say we know someone, it's more than just knowing about them. I'm sure I could pick on some of the lads here and ask them to tell me all about their favorite footballer. And they would give me loads of stats and information. They'd have all the facts about the footballer, but they don't actually know them. They don't have a relationship with them. Knowing someone involves having that relationship with them, not just head knowledge. And to know someone, you really need to spend time with them, spending time getting to know them, spending life with them. I want to give an example. If 25 years ago you asked me, do you know Heather Topping? My response would have been, Heather Topping? I know about her. That's Sharon Topping's sister. I've done season with Sharon. I know Sharon. But Heather Topping, she might be a nurse, but I know about her, but I don't know her. Might have met her once at her mom and dad's house after meeting Kilkeavy, but I don't know her. But then maybe, I think it's roughly 23 years ago, these are rough timelines. If you ask me, do you know Heather Topping? I will say it. Yes, I know Heather Topping. She's a lovely Christian girl. She's one of my friends. I've started to get to know her. She's a lovely girl. You might have even seen maybe a weak glint in my eyes at that point. But if you ask me today, do I know Heather Topping? I'd have to say, actually, you mean Heather McGee? She's my wife. I spent the past 21 years of marriage getting to know her better. As I spend time with Heather, I get to know her better day by day, and she gets to know me better. So knowing someone is not about head knowledge, it's about having that relationship, spending time with them to get to know who they are, what they're like, what they like what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what they care about. Knowing someone involves time and relationship. So with that, let us now turn to our passage. In verse 13, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. John is saying here that everything he's written before, the whole point of it, was so that the readers could be certain they have eternal life. So to really understand this verse, we need to go back all the way to the beginning of 1 John and go through the whole lot again. But we don't have time to do it in detail. So I'd encourage you when you get home, take the time to read through First John. It's only five chapters. It won't take long, but it'll help refresh your memory. 
So I just want to highlight a few things. Way back at the beginning of July, we have Danny starting off the series talking about the first bit in 1 John, the first number of verses. And what was Danny talking about? Danny was talking about how Jesus is the life of God, but also how we are cut off from that life because of our sin. We don't have a relationship with God naturally, but Jesus came into the world and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So if we trust in Jesus, we will be forgiven and have eternal life. We can have fellowship with God again. But it's even more than just being forgiven. God starts the process of purifying us, of making us more like His Son. And then we have everything else in 1 John. And we don't have time to go in depth of what was covered. But here are some of the things which enable us to be confident in knowing we have eternal life. Oops, sorry. The first thing we have confidence, why we can be confident we have eternal life is the source of where we get the knowledge from originally. In 1 John, we find out that John was an eyewitness to Jesus. So we have confidence in what he tells us because he was there walking with the Lord. But more than that, as we go work through 1 John, we find out that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We have a relationship with them, and that gives us confidence because we have a relationship with the Father and the Son, with God, and that gives us the confidence that we are building that relationship with them. But also we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, to transform us. We have the confidence in knowing because of where ultimately we got the information from. John is an eyewitness, but then from God Himself, from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we can know because of the witnesses, because of the source we've got it from. They're reliable, they're trustworthy. But then we move on, knowing's also from experience. And as you go through 1 John, you find John talking about the experience of the Christians and the believers. First of all, of the evidence in their lives of God changing them as they obey God, as they start doing what God wants them to do. That reinforces the fact they have eternal life and their love one for another. They're showing love to each other, which again reinforces they have eternal life. But then John moves on in the passage we're looking at this morning to talk about prayer. Prayer. 
And what does John tell us about prayer? What he says to us is this. And this is verse 14. And this is the confidence we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that the requests that we have that we have the requests that we've asked for him. See, the first thing we should notice here is that John's basing the confidence we have in prayer on the fact that we have a relationship with God, that we have eternal life, that we have that new relationship with God, we can be confident in God. And that we can have confidence that God will hear our prayer. And not only that, God will not only hear our prayer, He will give us our requests. But it isn't a blank check. John isn't saying here that we can ask for absolutely anything and everything and we'll get it. He says with the ask according to God's will. And in many ways, he's already building on what he mentioned in chapter 3 and verse 22, when he links obeying God to prayer being answered. John says we have a relationship with God, but we need to pray and ask according to God's will. You see, God loves us. We have a relationship. He wants us to pray, and He wants to answer our prayers, but He wants us to pray in line with what He wants. If we think about the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to seek after what God wants, His plans, His will. But that brings up the question, how do we know what God's will is? It's quite simple in some ways. It's all links back to eternal life, that we're in a relationship with God. We get to know what God's will is by getting to know Him. But how do we get to know Him better? We get to know Him by reading the Bible from listening to others talk about God and what they've learned. And it's amazing how sometimes other people have insights to God that we've missed. We can learn from others. Other people brings things out which can be helpful for us. But also praying itself is a way to get to know God, having that conversation with Him. And also we get to know God by actually doing what He wants us to do, by obeying Him, by loving each other. Because the thing is, as we get to know God better, as we get to understand His likes and dislikes, something actually happens in us. Because God is in the process of purifying us, of changing us, us transforming us to be like His Son. So actually, as we get to know God better, 
It's not so much that in prayer we try and bend God's will to ours. He changes us so that our will starts to line up with His. As we get to know Him, we know what He wants, what He likes, what He dislikes. So, does that mean we should only pray for things that we're 100% certain God wills? If we aren't sure, should we just forget about it? No. God wants us to talk to Him. God wants us to share our lives with Him. He wants us to share everything with Him. He wants us to bring all our concerns, all the things we want. We need to come before Him. Yes, there's some things which are obviously not God's will, because when you look at the Bible, it clearly states some things are wrong, full stop, and we shouldn't pray for those. But there's things we're not sure about. We still should pray, but it should be in the light of, Father, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I would like. But ultimately, it's not about me. Your will be done. We think of even our Lord in Gethsemane as He was facing the cross, as He was looking ahead to the horribleness He was facing. He prayed to His Father, is there any way for this cup to be taken away from me? But not my will be done, but Thy will be done. So when we pray, it should be done in light of God's will. But He wants to hear all our prayers. But we just need to remember, it's not about us. It's about Him. Then John moves on to talk in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. I just want to pause at this point. And in this verse and the next verse, it talks about a sin that leads to death. And at this point, I'm going to put up my hands and say, I'm not sure what it's referring to. Commentators I've looked at suggest it's more referring to a non-Christian and maybe something like sin against, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, a sin where someone would ask for forgiveness. But I don't know, so I'm not referring to that this morning. But what John is saying here is if we see our brother our fellow believer sin, what should we do? So often we can take the attitude when we see someone sin to get proud and think, I'm not like that guy. I wouldn't do that. Or maybe the other reaction is to go, hey, hey, George, did you see what he did? I have a bit of gossip. But John is saying our response, one of the responses, because he's not given a full in-depth guide of how to deal with someone sinning. One of our responses, if we see our brother sin, we should pray for him. We should pray that God gives him life, that God restores his fellowship with the believer. Because that's the problem of sin. When we sin, it gets in the way of our relationship with God. 
So if we see someone sin, we're to pray for them. Pray that God would intervene, that God would give them life, that they'd be restored. And you know, that also links back to chapter 2. Because not only are we to pray for our brother if we see him sin, chapter 2, we have the good news. There's someone far better than even the best person in this place praying for us. So chapter 2 reminds us we have an advocate before God for when we sin. The Lord Jesus is there before God interceding for us when we sin. But John says to us, with to, in some ways copy our Lord when we see someone sin, pray for them. And that brings up a very good question, which is going maybe a wee bit off the side. And that is when we pray for people, what sort of things do we pray for them? Because I know it's very easy to pray for people who are sick or going through a hard time, that God would help them, that they'd get better. But do we always just pray for the physical aspects of people's welfare? Do we take time to pray for our fellow believers that God would strengthen them spiritually, that God would help them grow, that God would enable them to get to know Him better? Just something to think about. So John talks about prayer. And then John goes on and concludes with three no's. In verse 18, he says, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. And again, this is going back to chapter 3. We know we can be certain that if you're born again, if you're a believer, not that you will not sin, but you won't keep on sinning. That it won't be a, a continual habit, but our desire should be not to sin. God is transforming us, purifying us to become more like His Son. And to be honest, the key part of that verse is the last bit of it. We know that everyone born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The key thing is we have the Lord Jesus there to help us and protect us. That's how we can live the Christian life. Christ in us, helping us, transforming us. We need to rely on Him. And in verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John is reassuring us that when we're believers, ultimately we're from God. We've been born again. In some ways, we're not of this world. But it also reminds us that the world currently is in the power of the evil one. 
But we don't need to be worried about that. Because again, this thing goes back to chapter 4, where he reminds us we are from God. But also in chapter 4, we realize that the world may be in the power of the evil one, but we have in us one who is greater than the evil one. We have Christ in us. We don't need to worry. Yes, the evil one's in the world, but Christ is for us. Christ is in us. We don't need to worry. We know for certain we're going to be okay. And then the final no is in verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. This is key. The reason we can understand things about the Word of God is the fact that the Lord Jesus came into this world and He has given us understanding. He enables us to understand the things of God. But this verse goes on to another so that we may know Him who is true. And you see, this verse is actually looping back to the start of the bit we were looking at this morning. Because John says, he wrote that you may know that you have eternal life. He says here that the Son of God's come. He's given us understanding, and the purpose of that understanding is that we may know Him who is true. Knowing Him who is true and having eternal life is actually really the same thing. Because in Jesus' high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17 and verse 3, this is how the Lord defines eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, eternal life is about knowing God, but having that relationship with Him. And John, in this letter, has written, it's so we can be certain we have eternal life, certain that we know God, but it's written to believers. The Lord Jesus had to die on the cross, and we need to trust in Him and follow Him. But the great thing about eternal life, as was mentioned last week, because it's knowing God, eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts here and now. It started when you first trust in Jesus. We start then to get to know Him better. It's a process. And we can be certain about it. We can confidently say we have eternal life. But there's a challenge in having that confidence. If we're certain we have eternal life, if we're certain that we know God, how does that affect our lives day by day? Are we living our lives in light of that? Are we trusting Him and following Him? 
when we make decisions of what we want in life, are we doing it in the knowledge that we know God? Are we obeying Him? When we pray, are we praying to Him according to God's will? But the key thing about this is, it's not about us. We can't get to know God all by ourselves. The Lord Jesus has given us understanding. The Holy Spirit reveals to us from God's Word and teaches us. We can only do it through Him changing us. I'm going to pray in a moment. But I just want to conclude by saying, knowing God, having eternal life is the reason we're all here. It's our prayer that everyone here would know Him, that they would know the eternal one of God, they would know Jesus and know God the Father. But more than that, that you would only just start to know Him, but that you'd grow and mature and get to know Him better. That's why we meet together, to know Him. It's about Him but it's also about Him working through us and changing us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You this morning, we want to thank You that we have 1 John, that we have that little letter that John wrote to encourage the church so that they may know they have eternal life. I pray, Father, that we would take what we read there and that you'd apply it to our lives, that we who are believers would have a confidence that we have eternal life, that we know we have eternal life. But more than that, that we would continue to get to know you better and that as we get to know you better, Father, that you transform us But Father, our prayer also here today is for those who don't know you, that they would take that first step of trusting in your Son, that they may know Him, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Father, just be with us and apply your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.